0: There, thanks for tuning in to St. John's Asheville Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's Inner West, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope, and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church.
1: So, starting at Isaiah 49 uh, Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord has called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, Who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honoured in the sight of the Lord, and my God has has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations, that my salvation may may reach the end of the earth. And 1 Peter 2. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. See, I am laying laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the cornerstone. And a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvellous light. Once Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that though they may malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. This is the word of the Lord. Light matters. Now there's actually literally no no life at all
0: without light Uh, The light that travels to us from the sun uh, warms and empowers our earth, uh, making biological and and physical processes of all kinds uh, possible. It actually literally gives life to each one of us and to the world in which we live. Light matters as well because it illuminates us uh, by light. You can see your way. You know where to go. You know what it's like to kick your foot on something in the dark because you don't have enough light to see. Uh, When it's dim, we stumble. When it's bright, we see things as they really are. And so it's no surprise that uh, throughout the world, throughout the ages, we've taken light as a human race uh, as a metaphor as well of what we need in order to actually live well, what we need in order to actually be able to see the way around us, to have real clarity. We talk about light bulb moments. Light makes the path before us visible. It enables us to see things as they really are and therefore to orient ourselves toward the right path, toward the things that really matter. And light drives away the darkness so that we can walk forward confidently and fearlessly. You can see how easy it is to move from the physical importance of light to metaphorical uses of light and how important it is. And the Bible talks about light in these ways an awful lot, using light as a metaphor for who God is, for what he's done in the world, and actually for who we are as God's people as well. So as we start out tonight, I'm thinking about a community of purpose that's set in the right direction, that can see where it's going. I want to start by giving you a little bit of a tour of some of the things that the Bible says about light. And what I'm going to read to you, this series of verses here, um, is, to be honest, um, really some of the most beautiful poetic lines in the whole of the scriptures, where this idea of light comes up again and again. Let me read a few of them to you. Firstly, uh, the Bible uses light as a description of God, especially of who he is in his glory and his moral goodness. So, Psalm 104, you wrap yourself in light as a garment. He alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. The scriptures also use light as a um, description of what God does in the world, his effects on the world, his work in the world. And so, of course, at the very beginning of the Bible, God said, let there be light, and there was light. We read about the scriptures too, God's word to us, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path we read of the Lord Jesus, that he is the true light, which enlightens everyone who is coming into the world. Light's well, also used as a description of God's people. As we read in Isaiah 49, I will give you as a light to the nations. As Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. As Paul writes to the Philippians, you are to shine like stars in the world. As we read in Ephesians, we keep coming back to again and again in this series on the church. Once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, live as children of light. One of my favorite Bible verses of all time actually uh, draws uh, some of these different themes together to talk about who God is and what He's actually done to us in the Lord Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Light gives us life and light gives us clarity and the light of God gives spiritual life to us and gives spiritual clarity to our lives. In the first letter of Peter that Adam's just read for us, uh, that light from God becomes the motivation and the foundation for a new purpose, the thing that gets us heading in the right direction that sets our path before us. So in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people with a purpose, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. The church, you see, has a guiding light, and that light gives us our purpose. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the true light who gives light to the world, gives light to our path and gives us as his people a new purpose that stretches out beyond the church itself into all the world and into all eternity. The gospel gives us new light, new clarity, and new purpose to proclaim what God has done. By living in such a way that everything we do is illuminated by the wonderful grace of God to us in Jesus and shines out through us into the world. And so because of the light that God has revealed to us in the face of the Lord Jesus, the church is a community with a purpose to proclaim God's marvelous acts, his mighty acts to shine his marvelous light. So we're going to talk a bit tonight about what it looks like to live out that purpose together. Uh, and we learn two things, particularly from that little section of uh, Peter's first letter. Uh, first, we learn that we live it out together uh, as a priesthood of light. And secondly, we learn that we live it out uh, in uh, every different sphere of our lives as a community together of light. They're going to be our headings this evening. So let's get straight in. Point one: We live our purpose together as a priesthood of light. Uh, in one Peter chapter two, the apostle uh, uses a kind of a flurry of different Old Testament descriptions of Israel to describe God's New Testament people, the church. But there's one in particular that I want to draw our attention to this evening. It's there in the the heading, uh, the church as a priesthood. Uh, In verse 5 of our passage, the church is to be a holy priesthood. In verse 9, the church is told you are a royal priesthood. And in both cases, that priesthood has a purpose. Uh, In verse 5, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In verse 9, to proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Verse 9 in particular is a, a conscious echo of God's words to Israel when they ra- arrived at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, three months after uh, God's mighty act of salvation in the Exodus, rescuing his people from Egypt and drowning their enemies in the sea. And there God spoke words like that to them and said, you have to be a priesthood that will actually declare my mighty acts to all the world. And now for us, on the other side of God's even greater, even more definitive act of rescue in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's new people, the church, the community, gathered in and by and around and for the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit, we are called again to the priestly service of God and called with a purpose to proclaim his mighty acts. To be a priest in the Old Testament meant to be in a special kind of relationship to God. Priests served God in the temple, in his very presence, where God was present with his people in that building. A tremendous blessing for those who are priests, a tremendous privilege, but also with real responsibilities. Because they were to draw so near to God in his very presence, they would have to maintain a really high exemplary standard of personal holiness. Priests would enter into the, uh, the presence of God in the temple to represent the people to God and they would mediate God's presence back to the people, declaring his praises for the people and to the people. What God was saying to Israel at Sinai is, what, is that what priests are in Israel's own life, Israel is to be for the rest of the world, to show the world what God is like so that they might see him and come to his light and know him. And what God is saying to us, God's new people in 1 Peter 1, is that we, the body of Christ, are now what Israel was to be for the world. We are priests living in the presence of God, even more so as his spirit dwells in us, called to proclaim God's mighty acts to the world. That's our purpose. That's our mission. It's captured in CCRW's little mission uh, tagline that we use, you know, to find grace, to learn hope, and to be light. To be light. That's where all this leads. The content of that proclamation is clear here in 1 Peter as well. It's the saving work of God that has brought us out of darkness and into God's own light, where to proclaim what God has done in Jesus, enabling us to see God as he really is, to see the world as it really is, to see ourselves as we really are, and so to illuminate our hearts with his grace and glory. And that light that we've received from God is to so shape our own lives and selves that it shines out of us into the world. That's our purpose to draw others to, to ourselves, to God, as that light shines out through us, to live as children of light, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 5. God has made us the light of the world, his agents, to show the world what it is that he's like, what it looks like to live for him, to tell them what he's done, to invite them to come out of the darkness and join us in the light. God has made us a priesthood of light. But that priesthood image isn't primarily about each of us as individual priests of light. Uh, It's about our life, singular, as a community of Jesus, as the church. We are priests of light only together. Uh, Notice that Peter doesn't say that each one of us is a priest. He says rather that we as a people are one holy priesthood, verse 5, one royal priesthood, verse 9. We fulfill that priestly function together. And so what we're going to do as we turn um, now to uh, point uh, two uh, is uh, to see what it looks like for us to live out that purpose of declaring God's mighty acts together as his people. There are lots of things we can say about what it looks like for us to be on mission in the world. Tonight we want to talk about particularly those aspects of it, of it that we do as a church. What difference does it make for us to be doing it as a body together? And so point two, uh, what does it look for us to look like for us to live out our purpose One of the the things that priests do to proclaim the mighty acts of God in the Old Testament is by making sacrifices, and there's a New Testament version of that too. Peter writes in verse 5 where to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The spiritual sacrifices here are about a whole life lived in service to God. It's the same idea as when Paul writes in Romans to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because God has given himself to us, we give our whole selves to him. He's brought us into the light and so we respond with a sacrifice of light-filled holy living, a bright, shining, praiseful life. Reclaiming the mighty acts of God is something we do, therefore, with our whole person, with our whole lives, not kind of constrained to that little part of your life that you might sometimes think of as evangelism. It's actually part of our whole purpose from our very being in everything that we do. Because, to go back to Ephesians 5 again, once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. That's who you are. That's what you are. God's marvellous light in Jesus is, if you like, refracted through each of us like a prism or like a cut diamond, if you want to be really pretty about it. The light he shines in our hearts shines out through us into the world so that everything we do and everything we are and everything we say proclaims the mighty acts of God so that the world might see his light in and through us. And Peter's first letter here helpfully points us to three different spheres in which that happens. Uh, Two of them are here in the passage that Adam's read for us, and one's a little further on in the letter. Uh, Those three are personal holiness, engaging with the world, and speaking about Jesus. Uh, We see the importance of that first one, personal holiness, for living out our calling and purpose uh, as we go on to verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that war against the soul. Uh, In other words, again, live in the light. Uh, God has called you out of darkness. Now let his light change you from your heart outwards. To live like that proclaims God's mighty acts. How is that so? Well, it becomes very quickly for those around you the evidence and proof that what God has done in Jesus really does actually change things. It really does transform people. The light of the gospel really does renovate the heart and therefore life. For that reason, the holiness of your life is itself, on one level, a form of gospel proclamation. The way that you live in the light of Jesus is part of your evangelism. Uh, in particular, the light of holiness will be seen uh, often, I think, in your willingness to be just a little bit out of step with the world around you, and precisely because you see the world differently in the light of Jesus. Peter refers to this kind of life as the life of aliens and exiles. Uh, To a world that still walks in darkness, those who walk in the light look very odd in lots of ways. I don't know if you've experienced that before. People think Christians are a bit strange. They're probably not wrong. That's why it matters, actually, that we're a priesthood of light, not merely priests of light. In this community, in this church, we all share that same purpose together. We all encourage one another to walk together in the light. So even though we might look like little green people from outer space to lots of those who walk in darkness... Nonetheless, together we encourage one another to persevere in godly living. And doing this together as a community, united by the purpose of proclaiming God's mighty acts, uh, one of the things that it actually does, one of the reasons it has real effectiveness for drawing others to the light, is that it makes that kind of holy life look plausible to other people. There's a wonderful little book by an English uh, pastor named Ed Shaw. It's a book primarily about uh, same-sex sexual activity and just a kind of orthodox biblical um, uh, laying out of the the teaching uh, around those issues. But even more than that, what Ed Shaw wants to get in his book is the idea that that the reason that people can know what the Bible teaches about something like sexual ethics, can even rationally say, yes, that makes sense to me, and yet reject it as a way of life, is because of what Ed Shaw calls a plausibility problem. We just don't see enough examples held up in our life of same-sex attracted Christians living a celibate life in joyful holiness, and we don't see it enough to make it seem like that's really a thing that you could do, a way that you could live, It seems impossible because we haven't seen it lived out. But a community of light where we uh, encourage each other to let the light of the gospel be refracted in our own lives between one another and out into the world will make that kind of life begin to look plausible, especially as we live in grace with one another. A community that takes holiness seriously proclaims God's mighty acts. It shows in the way that, uh, that it lives that what God has done in Jesus is real and powerful and true, and you could live that way too. Uh, Here's one story about how just one ordinary Christian's uh, holiness of life uh, has shone with the marvellous light of God. Uh, It's from this book, a book about kind of how you do Christian ethics uh, by a scholar called Andrew Cameron. Uh, And he's got a story about a friend of his uh, who is a school teacher. Let me read it to you. Uh, He writes, I know a teacher who hated his staff room's crude, corrosive humour. So he began a habit with the morning paper. He would read the opinion page on his way to work and think through his Christian response. He would then get to the staff room first, open his paper and share his view. Others would share theirs too. Uh, And one morning he wasn't in the staff room, instead he was on playground duty, a task despised by teachers. But a colleague who wasn't rostered on for playground duty sidled up to join him. With some surprise, he asked, um, why are you here? The colleague shrugged and mumbled, That staff room, it's just not worth being there when you're not. See what's going on here? Uh, This guy, this school teacher, follower of the Lord Jesus, it would be so easy, wouldn't it, as it is in so many circumstances to just get sucked into speaking the same way, joining in those jokes, joining the gossip in your workplace because it makes you fit in, right? But he knew there was a better way. And when he stuck to his guns and lived that way in the power of the Spirit, other people began to see that that's a plausible thing. That's a way that I could live. That might even be a beautiful way of life. So the first sphere of life in which we need to live out the priesthood of light is our personal holiness. The second sphere is engagement with the world more broadly. Uh, From the next verse in 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 12. Conduct yourselves honourably among the Gentiles, so that though they may malign you as evildoers, they may see your honourable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. Uh, What's being said in this verse really is very straightforward. It's so straightforward that you can miss it if you don't really stop to go, no, that is really what it says. It's that honourable deeds can lead people to honour God. The good that you do toward others is another important part of proclaiming God's mighty acts. The idea here is that the gospel-shaped works of love and justice and compassion and kindness that we do refracts the light of the gospel in our hearts out into the world with the effect that on the last day when the Lord Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, there will be some who stand in that judgment forgiven and righteous because of the honourable deeds they saw Christians do. Honourable deeds shed light on the experience of God's mighty acts. This is the difference that the grace of God makes. This is what it looks like. Now, there are lots of ways in which your honourable deeds can refract God's marvellous light in the world, in your day-to-day care of others, in the way that your work contributes to the good of God's world, etc., etc. There's all kinds of ways. Uh, but how in particular might we, as the priesthood of light together, how might we conduct ourselves in such a way that people see God's light in and through us? Uh, let me tell you another story. This time, from the best book that's ever been written about evangelism mission, John Dixon's book, The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission, it's on our bookstall outside. So check it out if you haven't read it before. Uh, let me find it for you. Uh, this is a story about a family uh, who the author, John Dixon, knows, uh, who um, had a daughter Uh, who was unexpectedly, as a young girl, uh, diagnosed with leukaemia, and, as you expect, it threw everything in a chaos. Uh, Here's what he writes. Uh, Kim and Christian, they're the parents, were not believers and never attended church. Kim did, however, go to the church playgroup, where local mums brought their toddlers to the church hall for an hour or two of social time playing and singing. The Christian component of the group was low-key, Kim recalls that the group was very social and, from my perspective at the time, not at all linked to the church building that was just next door. Nevertheless, everyone knew that the group was run by Christian mothers and those women women worked hard to create a warm and caring environment for those who might otherwise feel awkward about coming to a church group. But this Christian atmosphere became palpable when little Sophie fell ill. Suddenly, a food roster was set up as people from the playgroup and church dropped off regular meals to Kim and Christian. Others phoned to see how they were doing and to offer assistance. Kim remembers a woman who she didn't know arriving at the door one day with a bunch of flowers. She just wanted to let us know that her Bible study group was praying for us and to see if we needed any help. Kim met others on different occasions who, on finding out who I was, told me of their prayers for us and for Sophie, which to me showed a level of concern and involvement which went above and beyond a normal person's level of interest in our problems. One of Kim's great supporters during this difficult time was Lisa, the playgroup coordinator. Uh, On occasion, Lisa had offered to pray for little Sophie at her bedside. Uh, Kim says, At the time, I was quite taken aback, but each time was filled with peace and hope. The gospel effect of all this on both Kim and Christian was real. Uh, The prayers and support we felt from that group really made us want to find out what it was about them that made them do that, go out of their way to help us in our time of need. Christian adds, it has been so powerful to witness exceptional behaviour and to want to find out where it comes from. Uh, The opportunity to find out more came one evening when Lisa invited Kim to an evangelistic talk by a visiting international speaker. Uh, She says, I'm not sure I would have gone except that Lisa uh, took me. Uh, Lisa and others' love and concern over the months had given Kim not only an interest in the Christian message but also a hunch that it might be relevant. Kim listened to the preacher's words that night with a heart wide open. She says, toward the end of the talk, it may even have been during a prayer at the end, I started to shake and to cry uncontrollably. And in that moment, the Lord made himself real to Kim and she embraced him with all her heart. Christian too, who joked that I should call him non-Christian up to this point, embraced God soon afterward. He'd been somewhat sceptical about Christianity. His French humanist tradition had left him with numerous questions about God and about the validity of religious belief. But observing exceptional behaviour together with hearing the gospel in a sensitive and intelligent way, confronted his doubts with the reality of Christ. And Kim and Christian now to this day are both very much Christians and give thanks to the Lord for all that he's taught them and shown them. Uh, Do you see how that works? Just a clear example of how just good deeds done in love for someone else out of a heart shaped by the gospel, proclaimed the mighty acts of God, bringing more people out of darkness into his light. And there's all kinds of ways that we can do that as a church, all kinds of ways that uh, we can be serving those who are around us. That's just one example. But that's one of the spheres in which we live out together, the light that we walk in as God's people, as his priesthood. The third sphere in which we need to live out the priesthood of light is in answering people's questions about the light that they see in us, speaking about Jesus. Uh, Peter talks about this not in the uh, section we've read, but uh, just in the next chapter of his letter, in chapter 3, where he writes, uh, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who demands an accounting for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Uh, Holy and uh, living and honourable deeds uh, refract the light of the gospel into the world. They proclaim God's mighty acts. But to finally respond to God's grace in Jesus, of course, with faith and trust in him, to come out of the darkness and into the light for good, people need to hear the gospel. They need to hear who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, the thing is, if you get about the business of living in the light, then people will notice. They will, and they'll ask questions about it. Uh, If you want to know uh, particularly how to make uh, the most of those moments, uh, you can read some more in John Dixon's book. There's another book by Sam Chan that I'll show you in just a moment that's also worth reading. Uh, But remember, we're kind of focused tonight on how it is that we together as a community have a role to play in this. And so what does it look like for us to be a priesthood of light in speaking the words of Jesus to the world around us? The first one of those things actually is church, is what we're doing here right now. Uh, we have new people in our services all the time. Some of them are Christians, some of them aren't. And if, that, if you're one of those people tonight, we're so glad that you're here. We want you to see how good Jesus is, how marvellous the light of God is. As we sing songs together, as we hear God's word read and taught, as we pray together, we're letting the light that refracts through our hearts out into the world so that those who are here see that and see what it looks like to be a person who's shaped by God. We do that together every week, speaking of Jesus to those who are here among us. We also do it as we pray for one another, and I think this is really important, actually. We do this as we pray for one another and as we pray for one another's friends. Uh, Anthony, you know Anthony, a member of our congregation here, got baptised last year, kind of came to CCRW through Alpha, having been connected with a few people uh, from CCRW here in the past. Uh, I remember the first week that Anthony turned up to church here on a Sunday night. Uh, I was standing in the door, I said, hi, I'm Richard, welcome, great to have you at church tonight, and he says to me, hi, I'm Anthony, and I go, I know. I haven't met you before, but I know who you are. Been praying for you through Alpha. I've been hearing some stories about you. I know, I know, you're Anthony. I knew you were Anthony before you walked up. I actually even knew you were coming to church tonight. I didn't say that to him. <laughs> that would be incredibly creepy. Um, uh, but I knew it, right? I knew I knew who he was, and that ha- happens all the time, right? As you guys invite your friends to church, as other people come to our church through different ministries. The point is that even though sometimes we're a particular point of connection to someone, for them to see God's marvellous light refracted through us and to take those opportunities to speak about Jesus, that we do it as a team. We do it as a priesthood together. And so really we should be making a habit of it in our fellowship groups, in our other gatherings together, to be praying for those who haven't yet seen the light of God in the face of Jesus Christ. By name, getting to know other people's stories and praying for the opportunities that we each have actually to speak into those spaces So that actually when someone turns up at church, you say, Hi, I'm Amanda. And they say, Hi, I'm Bartholomew. And internally you go, I know. We've been praying for you. We've been looking forward to this moment of you turning up in our life together. Pray for one another and pray for one another's friends. Uh, Relatedly, I think we can do some troubleshooting together. Uh, You might have had the experience that sometimes your conversations about Jesus don't always actually go that well. Usually they go better than you think that they do, actually, uh, in my experience but often they feel like they haven't gone that well. Let's talk about that with one another. Let's actually be praying for one another, be troubleshooting together, telling the stories of the opportunities that we have to speak about Jesus. It might be that actually somebody else uh, here in our body, in our gathering, uh, might see a particular angle on the gospel, actually, that might connect with a person that, that you hadn't seen. As you talk about them and their life and who they are as you pray for them together, they might be able to say, actually, you should try this next time you get an opportunity. Let's troubleshoot together what it looks like for us to give an answer when we're asked. Uh, thirdly, and this is from the book I mentioned by Sam Chan, um, it's good to just merge your universes. That's how Sam Chan puts it. Uh, that's in this book, which I'm not going to read anything out of from tonight, but I want to wave it at you because this is on the bookstore too. And it's a really great little book. It's called How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy or Girl, we might add. Anyway, great little book. Uh, he talks about merging your universes, uh, by which he means, you know, you have that experience where I've got my church friends here and my church family here. I've got my biological family here, I've got my uni friends here and my work friends here and my school friends there, and they kind of like all exist in their own little bubbles just with you as the centre point. Sam Chan says if you do that, you're going to be a lone ranger basically, right? You're going to be the person who's going to be able to speak about Jesus in that context. And so merge your universes, find some ways for them to overlap, to actually introduce other Christians who you know into their life as well so that you're doing it together, there's lots of ways that you might uh, do this. Um, there's a bunch of people at the 10am service uh, who started uh, book clubs and movie clubs uh, with uh, particularly parents from, other, uh, from the school where their kids are all at school together. Uh, just to, you know, They're not talking about the gospel particularly, they're just talking about um, film and literature together and seeing where the relationship goes. But they're merging their universes as they do it. We do it in a slightly more formal way, if you like, uh, through uh, the Chiefs, through our soccer team, where there's all kinds of people from church and not from church who are playing soccer together, getting to know each other. Uh, We do it when we have events like our SAS events. But there's all kinds of ways you can do it in your day-to-day life as well. Merge your universes, because you don't have to be a lone ranger in this. We do this together as a priesthood of light. Uh, It's in those kinds of contexts that our opportunities to speak about Jesus will often arise, and they're opportunities that we can uh, both create together and that we can fuel together by prayer as we ask God to be at work in those things and to strengthen us for those opportunities that we get. So there's three spheres in which we live out our purpose, and we do it all together, even if we're not all always present in each of those places. Our personal holiness, our engaging with the wider world, uh, and our opportunities to speak about Jesus to others. Uh, In short, as we draw to a close, uh, you could say that to be a priesthood of light means that we're not out there alone in the world. We're in this together. This is our mission, this is our purpose. And we need to know that because the world really can be a tough place for living as Christians. Peter calls us aliens and exiles. And he says that living apart from Jesus is like living in the dark. And so what's going to keep, you, uh, keep the light so strong in your hearts that we can continue to refract God's only light out through us into the world? The answer, of course, is to go back again and again to the source of that light to the light that gives light to everyone, to Jesus, the light of the world, the one of whom John writes in the beginning of his gospel, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The one through whom the Father created the sun and the stars, he stepped into our darkness, he walked where we have walked, he suffered what we have suffered, and yet he never gave himself into the darkness. He always walked in the light. And even when the darkness did its worst to him, putting him to death on the cross, the darkness did not overcome his light. He smashed through the darkness of death into bright and everlasting life and he called us to follow him there too. That's the mighty acts of God right there, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the mighty acts that we proclaim, the pouring out of his spirit into our hearts. This is how we were brought from darkness into light and so this is what we proclaim with every fibre of our beings in every part of our lives as a priesthood of light to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray that God will keep fitting our hearts and filling us with that light. Our gracious and loving Father, we give you such great thanks uh, that we can see that you've shown us who Jesus is, that you've brought that light to life in our hearts. We thank you that as we look to our Lord Jesus, we see you shining forth through him, the God who made the entire universe, the God who loves us enough to send your only son to walk among us in this dark world. And we thank you, Father, that as you've brought that uh, that light to life in our own hearts, you have fit us to be your lights in the world as well. And so, Father, fill us together as your people, as a priesthood of light, with the, the joy, the sense of energy that we need, the mission, the purpose to be your light in the world, in each of those spheres. When things look dark, Father, continue to draw our hearts to the Lord Jesus, that that light might be rekindled again and again, so that it might shine forth from us so that many, many more will come out of the darkness and join us here in your marvellous light. We ask this, Father, for your honour and glory in the power of the Spirit, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.